The Orioles had the day off on Monday, but there's still plenty to talk about in Birdland. We'll get to some Orioles news and notes talking about the new catcher they claimed off waivers, plus the next step in Grayson Rodriguez's rehab to try and get back to the bigs. Then we'll continue our 2022 Orioles MLB Draft Profile Series, taking a look at two small school pitchers the Orioles picked up in the right-hander Wyatt Cheney and the left-hander Jared Beck. That's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Tuesday, September 13th, 2022, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we're going to start with some pieces of Orioles news and notes. Those had the day off on Monday, but on Sunday, they did make a waiver claim, picking up the catcher Cam Gallagher off waivers from the Padres. We'll talk about how he fits in with the Orioles moving forward. And then we'll talk about Grayson Rodriguez. He's being moved up to AAA to essentially end his rehab assignment. Now the next step is, how long is he in AAA? And when does he get to the bigs? We'll talk about that a little bit as well. And then we continue our 2022 Orioles MLB Draft Profile Series. We're talking about two more pitchers who the Orioles took in the draft this year. First, we'll talk about Wyatt Cheney, a right-hander the Orioles took in the 10th round out of McLennan College down in Texas. He was originally at Oklahoma State, then went and dominated at junior college. We'll talk to his college pitching coach, Peter Stark, about Cheney's stuff on the mound. And then we will chat about Jared Beck, everyone's favorite draft pick from this year, the seven-foot-tall left-handed pitcher who the Orioles selected at a Division II St. Leo University in the 13th round. His head coach, Rick Odette, will join the podcast. We'll talk about Beck's stuff and how he was putting their school on the map and why he's much more than just a seven-foot-tall pitcher. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. Before we get there, though, just did want to thank you for making Locked On Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. We're free and available on all podcast listening platforms. New episodes Monday through Friday. Make sure to leave a rating and a review if you do listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That really helps out the pot a lot. And of course, we're right here on the Locked On Orioles YouTube channel. If you could like, comment, and subscribe to the channel, really helps out the pot. And remember, if you are subscribed to Locked On Orioles on YouTube, you are always available for the giveaways. And we've got another one, some Orioles baseball card giveaways coming up later this week as well. But again, just thank you for making Locked On Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. For your first listen today, let's start with some Orioles news and notes. And starting with a roster move that the Orioles made on Sunday, and that was bringing another player onto the 40-man roster as the Orioles claimed 29-year-old catcher Cam Gallagher off waivers from the San Diego Padres. Gallagher had been DFA'd by the Padres on Friday, and the Orioles scooped him up on Sunday. They DFA'd right-handed pitcher Rico Garcia to make room for Gallagher on the 40-man roster. Now, Gallagher was DFA'd by the Padres, but he actually never played a major league game for San Diego. His whole, at least, major league career has been with the Kansas City Royals. He was a second-round pick out of high school by the Royals all the way back in 2011, 
made his major league debut with Kansas City in 2017, and had basically been a part-time player with the Royals since then. He was essentially the number three catcher for the Royals from 2017 through this year. He played in a chunk of MLB games every year, never played more than 50 games though, and spent you know more than 50% of each of those seasons in AAA. But if there was any injury, anything happened, expanded rosters, Gallagher would be in the big leagues. And for him this year, his time with Kansas City finally ended when the Royals and the Padres made a pretty minor trade at the deadline, just swapping essentially third-string catchers. Gallagher went to the Padres, and catcher Brent Rooker went to the Royals in a one-for-one swap. Now, again, Gallagher spent that time just in AAA with the Padres before they DFA'd him, but he did get a little major league time with the Royals this year before the trade. 18 games, 47 plate appearances, a 214 average, 267 on base, 333 slugging, no homers, 13 strikeouts to just three walks. Again, not a very big sample size. Now, in his major league career, it's really not a big sample size either, as I talked about. Just 171 career major league games, just over a full season, hitting 240 with a 302 on base, 355 slugging, seven career home runs, and a 77 career OPS plus, meaning he's been 23% worse than the major league average hitter since he's been up and down in the big leagues since 2017. So that's kind of the player the O's are acquiring. Now, at least this year in AAA between the AAA team in Omaha for the Royals and the AAA team for the Padres, that's El Paso. He did hit a little better, but again, small sample size. 26 games, 99 plate appearances, 227 average, 293 on base, 386 slugging, three home runs for Gallagher. Basically been known as a defense first catcher his entire career. And that obviously can help the Orioles. You know, they are looking for at least Adley Rutschman's backup going into 2023 and are going to want to have a defense first catcher be in that spot. So maybe Gallagher can be that guy. And in terms of getting a bigger sample size from him, we did see a lot more of him in the big leagues last year in 2021. He appeared in a career-high 48 big league games with the Royals last year. And in 124 plate appearances, the offense was at least a little better. 258 average, 298 on base, 330 slugging, did have one homer. Again, 71 OPS plus, not great, but he was able to at least hit some singles and and hold his own with the bat. Again, those are offensive stats still better than what Robinson Chirinos has given the Orioles as their backup catcher this year. So in terms of what Gallagher brings, I mean, he's hit the breaking ball well in his career. He hit 375 against breaking balls this year, hit 379 against breaking balls last year. So there's something he at least does well from time to time at the plate, and he's always been an above average to a good framer. And even in his worst framing years, at worst, he has been you know just a tick above major league average as a pitch framer behind the plate and known to be pretty good with a pitching staff. He's got a solid throwing arm, not anything amazing. But at the end of the day, in his good seasons, you go look back at 2019 specifically, he was considered a pretty good pitch framer, not one of the elite top 10 framers in baseball behind the dish, but one who really helps you behind the plate. So the question kind of becomes, well, why did the Orioles use a 40-man spot on a third-string catcher at this point in the season where they're pretty much set in stone to finish the year, obviously, with Adley Rutschman and Robinson Chirinos? Well, there's a couple reasons why. One reason could be that they want to add Gallagher to the Major League roster this year. And it's not necessarily that, you know, they would DFA Robinson Chirinos and replace him. But 
with how bad Jesus Aguilar has been for the Orioles since they signed him to a minor league contract at the beginning of September, I mean, he's one for 18 at the dish with, I think, nine strikeouts. I think the Orioles may DFA Aguilar and use that roster spot for another player down the stretch. And I wouldn't be super surprised if that player was a third catcher on the Orioles roster. They carried three catchers when rosters were expanded during the 2020 season. And I could see them doing it again just to have a better backup option for Adley Rutschman. Because as much as Robinson Trinos brings in terms of leadership in the clubhouse and being a veteran for this team, he's a bad framer. He doesn't throw very well. He can't hit. And at the end of the day, if you just keep him on the roster and maybe you play Chirinos one or two more times for the rest of this season, you know, you start him behind the plate and he just is a leader in the clubhouse, you can then add Gallagher to the roster. He becomes your true number two catcher, and he plays every Sunday when Adley either DHs or gets the day off during a day game. And I think it's pretty clear that defense and offense really right now, Cam Gallagher is probably a better option than Robinson Torinos. And just for once a week, hey, for the last three weeks of the season, maybe that's their plan to just call him up there. And the other plan could be, hey, maybe they're looking at Cam Gallagher as potentially the top backup for Adley Rutschman next year. So you get him in the organization now, you get him on the 40-man roster, and maybe it's a guy who you thought, oh, if he becomes a free agent, we won't be able to get him, someone else will get him. Obviously, they've identified something they like in him, and maybe they want him to be in that mix for Adley's backup next year, and that's why they brought him in. So we could potentially see him in the big leagues for the rest of this year. Now, as I mentioned, to make room for Gallagher, on the 40-man roster, the Orioles DFA'd right-handed pitcher Rico Garcia, who they signed to a minor league contract earlier this year. He pitched six games out of the Oriole bullpen in the big leagues this year in eight innings, allowed four runs on eight hits with two strikeouts, three walks, and two home runs, was recently sent back down to AAA Norfolk. And in AAA in the minors this year, he's been great for the Orioles. 21 appearances, three starts in the minor leagues for Baltimore this year, had a 1.76 ERA in the minors. In 41 innings, it allowed just 27 hits with 53 strikeouts to only 16 walks. Now those numbers are good. The major league numbers haven't been as good. I think it's probably 50-50 whether or not he clears waivers. If he does, he'll obviously stay with the Orioles organization in AAA Norfolk, just will be off the 40-man roster. I think the O's hope he sticks around. They obviously see something in him because, you know, he's at least been in the major leagues for a solid chunk of the year, enough that they like him to keep him around. So hopefully he does clear waivers for the Orioles. But that's not the only big roster move situation going on with the Orioles here this week, because obviously the even bigger news is Grayson Rodriguez. As the Orioles announced on Monday that he would be rejoining AAA Norfolk after two rehab starts with the Bowie Bay Sox, which means technically his rehab assignment is over because he's obviously not back in the big leagues yet. But remember, when he was injured, he was still in AAA. So this is a AAA rehab assignment. So now that he's back up with Norfolk, his rehab assignment technically is over and he has just rejoined the Norfolk Tides. Now, Rodriguez in his last double-A start on rehab Sunday in Bowie, two and two-thirds innings, allowed just one hit, but he allowed four runs, struck out seven batters of the eight outs he recorded, but walked three. All those guys scored in the third inning. He threw 56 pitches, 29 for strikes on Sunday. Again, he was six up, six down with five strikeouts through two innings. Then things got a little away from him with command in that third inning, but still was showing progress with all of his stuff. 
Now, this would most likely schedule him to probably start Friday in Norfolk. They take on Charlotte, and he would make a AAA start. You know, now he's gone 30, 40, 50 pitches. You would have to think he creeps up towards 70 pitches if he starts for Norfolk on Friday. And then you start to look forward on what's the timeline for Grayson Rodriguez. So the AAA season ends on September 28th. So theoretically, if they gave him only the four days of rest, you know, your normal MLB rest between starts, he could get two more AAA starts in September 21st and September 26th if he went on regular rest. That would give him a chance to either make one start in the big leagues or potentially maybe two relief outings or more in the big leagues. Because if he did make that final AAA start September 26th, he would theoretically be ready to pitch again on October 1st. The Orioles that weekend are in New York against the Yankees for their second to last series of the season. So they could have him start in the big leagues once or maybe come out of the big league bullpen maybe twice in those final five games or so against the Yankees and the Blue Jays, especially if the O's are still in it and need a boost from the top pitching prospect in baseball. Now, another thing they could do, you know, in the minor leagues, a lot of times guys have five days between starts instead of six. So that would put him at September 22nd for Norfolk and then would also put him at September 28th for Norfolk, which would be their final day of the regular season, which would still line him up to potentially start against the Blue Jays in the Orioles' final series of the year at home, October 3rd through the 5th. So either way, they cut it in Norfolk. The Tide season is going to end, and he's going to be at the very least available to start one game for the Orioles before this season is over. What I think they're going to do, I honestly do think they're going to have him pitch for the O's. Because he does need to be added to the 40-man roster no matter what this offseason. So you might as well add him now, get him in the big leagues, and at least get his feet wet with, you know, maybe one start or, as I mentioned, two, you know, maybe two-inning relief outings. And it's going to make it easier if the Orioles kind of fall out of the race. And if they're not in it in that final week, you can, you know, give him a start or, you know, give him a certain two innings each day. It might make it a little harder if the Orioles are in a race, you know, no matter how good he is. How much do you want to trust him to make one start with your season on the line in late September or early October? So that's going to be something they have to manage. So the, the you know the decision could change how close the O's are to the wild card come you know, those final six games in New York and then home against Toronto. But I do think either way they're going to find a way to at least get him to pitch once in the big leagues, whether it be relief or starting, before this season is over. And it is a good good sign that he is back in Triple A Norfolk. But He's obviously the top pitching prospect in this system and the top pitching prospect in baseball in Grayson Rodriguez. But the Orioles continue to add pitching prospects to kind of add to the depth behind Rodriguez. And coming up next, we're going to talk about two of those pitching prospects, two guys who the Orioles selected in the 2022 MLB draft back in July. So first, we're going to talk about Wyatt Chaney, the right-hander the Orioles took in the 10th round out of McLennan College, a junior college in Texas. And we're going to be joined by his pitching coach at McLennan, Peter Stark, to talk about Cheney's one year at McLennan and what got him drafted so high up in this year's draft. Then after that, we will chat about everybody's favorite pitcher, the seven-foot-tall left-hander Jared Beck, who the Orioles selected in the 13th round this year out of St. Leo University, a D2 school. His head coach at St. Leo, Rick Odette, is going to join the pod after that to talk about 
Beck stuff and why he's more than just a very tall starter who could be, if he gets there, the tallest player to ever appear in a big league game. But that's coming up next. First, it'll be Wyatt Cheney with Peter Stark joining us. And then we'll talk about Jared Beck with Rick Odette joining us here on the podcast. But first, I do have to tell you about betonline.net, your number one source for all your pro and college football betting needs and sports info this season. You can find all the latest football league developments, game matchups, news, podcasts, including the opening week, week two, week three of games as well. Because week one is over. Big W for the Ravens over the Jets. They also cover the spread. Lamar Jackson looking good in what's going to be a contract year here for him. But it's not just football. Bet Online is also your continued source for all your sports wagering info, including live betting, esports, and scores. And of course, the Major League Baseball season, the final month as we get to the postseason as well. And then there's MMA, there's boxing, there's golf. Things are really starting to pick up. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action at Bet Online, where the game starts. All right, so we welcome Peter Stark into the podcast. He is the pitching coach for McLennan Baseball, where Wyatt Cheney pitched this spring. And Peter, first of all, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. And so we obviously wanted to talk about Wyatt Cheney, who the Orioles selected in this year's 2022 draft and a guy who, you know, many were not familiar with just because after he had transferred from Oklahoma state went to McLennan, but I mean, he was essentially an ace for you guys this spring and getting him in there, you know, how did that change your pitching staff having, having him at the top this year? Oh, I mean, he was, he was one of our, one of our aces. We had, we had several guys that were really good, but it, it was very apparent. Um, he was super consistent all year and showed the ability to, locate three pitches. His pitch ability was the first thing that, that stood out to me, commands the fastball well and throws throws a very, very good breaking ball. Has, his slider is his best pitch. And uh, he, he just showed the ability that he was going to be able to not just get guys out, but strike guys out and do it very consistently. You mentioned the three pitches, the fastball, slider, then, and what else does he have in that? Um, he, he developed a changeup this year. Uh, it was something that he, he kind of had to learn how to develop, but over the course of the year, he, he got feel for it and really gained confidence throwing with it. That was the biggest thing was just gaining feel and gaining confidence to throw it. And he ended up being, you know, a, a day two selection this year. Orioles took him in the 10th round. You know, he's obviously coming over from a bigger program and, and was, you know, a bigger time recruit. But at what point this season, you know, with scouts around or just his performance, was it becoming apparent to you guys that, you know, you guys were probably going to lose him to the draft after one season. Uh, I'll be honest that he showed that in, in the fall. Um, we played university of Texas uh, at the end of our fall season down in Austin. And it was very apparent then that, that he had big time stuff. He went three innings and punched out seven guys in a row um, during that outing. And that, that kind of put him on the map. He ended up actually committing to, to Texas uh, a few weeks after that outing, but that, that was kind of his, his breakout party and when he showed, Hey, I've got, I've got real big time stuff and I'm here to here to show you what I can do. Yeah. So we, we mentioned the stuff of the fastball, the slider, and then obviously working on the changeup as well. When he needed a K, when he needed a big pitch, was there one of those he was going to, or is he able to kind of mix those whenever he wanted? Uh, typically it was going to be a slider. That was his, that was his confidence pitch. That was his field pitch. But really as the season went on, uh, he learned how he gets guys out. And, you know, depending right-handed, left-handed, um, you know, making adjustments a couple times through the lineup because he was a starter. So you'd see guys two, three times 
um, during at bats. And so he was able to go through all, go to any pitch, uh, but his, his slider was definitely his out pitch. And then, you know, how much would you characterize him as, as kind of a bulldog for your staff when you guys got to the third time through the order, what was the confidence level when he was still out there? Oh, I mean, he, he was an absolute competitor. That was, that was the best thing about him. He developed confidence and he wanted the ball. He wanted to compete. He didn't want to come out of games. Um, he, he knew how to be efficient with his pitches kind of, he knew he started, like I said, he started learning how he gets guys out. You know, his, his slider was his best pitch, but he's got a high spin rate fastball, um, was able to use tunnel his slider off of that. And then when he needed that third pitch, especially with left-handers, that change up really, really started coming into play. Now, in terms of his development this year, was the changeup kind of the, the biggest d- development step that he made? Or in terms of things that you were working with him on this year, what, what was his biggest step he took from last fall to now? I think just learning how to use his stuff, learning how to use his pitch arsenal, how to use his pitches, uh, learning to throw inside, uh, particularly both to right-handers and left-handers, but learning how to pitch up in the zone, up and in in the zone with his fastball, and then how to use his slider off of that to to really get guys out and keep guys off balance. And, you know, you, you mentioned him being committed te- to Texas. Obviously, he had pitched a couple of years at Oklahoma State. If you wanted to, to share any of the insight, like do you think it was a tough decision for him to, to sign here, or, or was that always a big goal of his, and, and once he got selected in the 10th round, he was going to go? It was definitely his goal. Um, you know, it, it was kind of a tough decision and we talked about it. Uh, he talked to, you know, our whole coaching staff about, you know, the opportunities he had. And that's the thing he did have, he had multiple opportunities and, you know, just where he was in his development process, his age, it made sense for him to go ahead and get into a system and go see what he can do. And then, you know, you talk about in the fall and, and pitching against Texas and, and kind of knowing then that, that he was definitely going to be uh, on teams draft boards. Was there ever an indicator, you know, specifically that the Orioles were interested? I mean, obviously they had scouts down there watching him in the fall, in the spring, but we know at least with what the Orioles have done with some of the pitchers they've drafted, they will pinpoint one thing, whether it be a high spin fastball or, you know, a guy who tunnels well, or a guy with kind of a, you know, a, a breakaway slider who they think they can develop even further. Was there ever the indicator that specifically the Orioles were really interested at some point this year? Um, from my standpoint, no, I know, you know, we're, we're watched by a lot of different programs and he, he had a lot of interest, but um, I'm glad that, that they were the team that decided to go with him. But no, I, I didn't have the indication that it definitely was going to be the Orioles. I thought he, I thought there were going to be multiple clubs interested and whoever took him was going to, going to get a steal. And uh, so far, so good. His first pro appearance, one, two, three, with a couple of strikeouts uh, in the mm-hmm. FCL as well. Last thing I have for you, Peter, you know, you get to be around him pretty much every day since the fall. You know, give Orioles fans a little bit of insight into Wyatt Cheney kind of off the mound, what kind of guy he is um, and, and, you know, what kind of person they're getting uh, as another right-handed pitcher enters the system. You know, he, he is a very likable kid, a uh, very fun person to be around. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I kind of poked fun at him a little bit. He, so he was our Saturday starter um, for our conference games. And uh, I called him Sunday afternoon Wyatt. You know, when he, when he showed up the day after his starts, uh, it was, he was feeling good. One, he was always, he was very successful. He didn't have a poor start all year. So he was always feeling very good, um, just kind of very laid back, um, still being able to go about his business. But it was kind of that Monday morning quarterback of, hey, I just played a really good game and and I'm here. And that was to me, that was the biggest thing for him this year is he he enjoyed 
being at McLennan, he enjoyed his teammates. He enjoyed working with them. And it was that love for the game, the love for where he was and just playing baseball that that led to his his success more than anything. Well, Peter, thank you so much for joining us. Obviously, the Orioles excited to get Wyatt Cheney into the system, and we are excited to watch him move up the ladder. But thanks again for coming on the pot. Thank you, Connor. All right, so we welcome Rick Odette into the podcast. He is the head baseball coach at St. Leo University. And Rick, first of all, thank you so much for jumping on the pod today. Thanks for having me, Connor. And so we have you on, of course, to talk about Jared Beck, the Orioles' 13th round selection in the 2022 draft, the left-handed pitcher who pitched for you at St. Leo for the past two seasons. And I think we just have to get this out of the way first. He is seven feet tall, which many people have talked about already. And uh, if he gets to the bigs, would be the tallest player ever in Major League Baseball. So my question is, when you came out there to take him out of the game, was it any more intimidating to make a move when he's towering over you on the mound? Well, I will say this. I'm 6'3", and it's uh, I had to, to kind of to maneuver myself to the top of the mound. Usually I go up uh, into the mound, and he's on top. Usually and I have to talk to him or, you know, I don't know somebody that's in you know regular height or whichever, uh, and not many times I've felt like I was short. Um, and, but with him, uh, I would go to the back of the mound, so then I could kind of at least be somewhat not embarrassed as I'd looked up to him. But yeah, it was much different than anybody else I've ever had to talk to in the mound for sure. Yeah, definitely, definitely a smart move. But we want to look past the fact that he's seven feet tall because he's a 13th round draft selection in the major league baseball draft. He's got a lot of talent too, but I wanted to start with kind of how you and Jared came together to find his way to St. Leo, because I know he had pitched a couple schools before that, including at the division one level. And, and how did that all come together where he pretty much did, you know, find his home for college baseball for his last two seasons. It was really interesting. Um, to, you know, he was, leaving Illinois State. He was at Heartland Community College at the time. He was leaving Illinois State. Uh, and I had a friend there uh, who's who's the recruiting coordinator and just, you know, basically, um, you know, he just wasn't ready. Uh, he needed more innings, you know, obviously being of that height. And he had some injuries along the way. So it was, you know, trying to get enough innings for him that made sense uh, that would, you know, really kind of improve his career and move him down the road. And, you know, it was, it wasn't that he probably couldn't pitch there. It's just, they needed him to pitch now. Uh, and, and they weren't, you know, he wasn't going to get enough innings for that. Uh, and they asked if we had interest. And of course, you know, I said, absolutely. So when they talked to him, you know, part of the conversation, cause it was at Christmas time, the, uh, a year and a half ago. And when that happened, uh, you know, conversation was obviously trying to do the right thing for him, find the right place. And, so we started as soon as that happened. Uh, I got a phone call. He, you know, was then put into the NCAA portal, um, and we, you know, started having conversations immediately. Um, you know, and it had to be a quick turnaround. So uh, we we started talking. Seemed to click really well. Um, he was able to do at that time. That's you know the pandemic piece. The, the good piece was Zoom, of course, and uh, we were able to do some stuff with his family on Zoom. Uh, and really to kind of show show them our vision for for Jared and our program. Uh, and really that started it and you know we're happy it did. And so he gets to St. Leo and, and that first season in 2021, you know, he had some good strikeout numbers, but the walks were an issue. The ERA was up. I, I know the command was not there from time to time. What clicked, whether it was fall 2021 or just in between those two seasons for him to go from, you know, a guy you guys went to but had his struggles to 
really the ace of your staff and, and a guy who could go out there once a week and, and dominate? Well, I, I think part of it is, you know, it's a lot of body moving. You know, there's, there's, you know, seven foot coming at you. And he's a, you know, he was tall and skinny when he first came, uh, obviously tall, uh, but was extremely thin. Uh, and we tried to simplify his body. You know, basically we know there was going to be a lot of movement. Let's see if we can kind of, to limit some of that and see what, you know, direction we can to simplify. Um, so that kind of started it, but he had about three or four outings because he, he was in a tough spot. He came out of high school, went to junior college, got injured. COVID happened. He was rehabbing through it, shortened seasons and so on. Um, so even our season, scouts could not see see anybody in our league till probably about his fourth start anyway, uh, just because of the COVID rules we had and restrictions. Um, and so it kind of gave him a little time to just kind of figure his way out. Uh, we were throwing him at that time. Our conference schedule was different. I remember we played, we, we threw him against Florida Southern three Wednesdays in a row, uh, just the way the, the conference schedule happened to be with COVID. Um, and we threw him out there in two of the times he was absolutely dominating. And it was right at the start of when scouts could come in. So he had drawn some interest at that time was probably 86 to 88, you know, hit some 90 here or there. Uh, control was in and out. Uh, but was much better. You know, we, like I said, he simplified himself and worked at it. Uh, and then really he had about two outings at the end that he started to wear out a little bit uh, and struggled. So kind of, some of the draft interest kind of went away. Uh, we then sent him to Savannah Bananas, which with his personality is a great fit for him. Um, he went with them. And really, I think the turning point was he put 30 pounds on, you know, and he was starting to do it here, but he was, he really committed to putting weight on. Uh, and I think he came back at 230, 240. Uh, and it was a different Jared at that point. As you can see, he it was finally a guy, rather than being, you know, projection, he was being production. Uh, and so it started to change for him there. And confidence came with it. And work ethic was there. And, and he really, really worked at it. And, you know, of course, in the, he had a really good summer, had a really good fall. Uh, scout day was really good. Uh, was consistently throwing strikes. The slider was good. The changeup was coming along. Um, and he really became a prospect, which is sometimes hard to handle, right? Like it's especially when you, you know, were a guy that was always, what were you going to, what are you going to be? He kind of was at that point. So um, he opened up against Flagler. I think he struck out 12 and five and two thirds and he was on his way. So he did a really good job of simplifying things, putting weight on uh, and really developing it as he went along this year, especially. And you mentioned, you know, the, the fastball velocity kind of ticking up as he went and putting the weight on. By the end of this year, what did that velocity look like? And then kind of what what are the secondaries that, that he goes to the most off that fastball? His velocity, and I think when he's really, really good, he can elevate. Uh, his spin rate works. You know, it's it's something that he can be in the top of the zone. Obviously, a release point when you're seven foot tall becomes much different than most. Um, you know, he was up to 95 miles an hour. Uh, you know, and but pitched probably 90 to 93 pretty consistently, didn't go much under. Uh, had about midway through about two, three starts that maybe wasn't as hard, but I think it was just your normal, you know, wear and tear, dead arm, you know, getting through a full season for the first time, technically. And then once, you know, really about two weeks before our regional started, which he did a great job and was a big piece of that, um, he started to, to really kick it back into gear. Uh, and, and it was really good from there on out. 
And and then off of the fastball, what is the the off speed and, and the breaking stuff? Kind of what's in his repertoire? His slider, uh, his slider is probably his second pitch. He really commands the fastball, elevate, but he also can get glove side into a righty. Um, you know, he his breaking ball is very good. It's it's more of a slider slurve type than it is a curveball, uh, but it does have some tilt, uh, and then has really done a good job uh, with the changeup. I saw him throw uh, in his out his first outing with with you guys. Uh, and was watching him on TV, and he's changeup. He struck out two guys on the changeup. So it's really good to see him have confidence with that, uh, and he's done a really good job of believing in it, and it's it's a really good pitch. Yeah, and, and what the Orioles have done so well over the last couple of years with their their new guys in charge is anybody that's interested in developing a changeup, they are all over that. So I'm sure they've already worked uh, with Jared in that sense. One thing you did want to mention, I kind of wanted to finish up with here. It, you talked about him going to the Savannah Bananas and how his personality fit there. Give Orioles fans kind of a sense of of who Jared Beck is off the mound. Well, he's, for one, he's a competitor in everything. It doesn't matter if it's ping pong, if it's, you know, if it's obviously competing on the mound. He really, really competes, but he is a fun personality. He's that guy. He's loud. He's He can control a room. Uh, guys like him. He's got a ton of energy. Uh, sometimes he's got to kind of probably slow that energy down even a little bit when he's on the mound. But uh, he fit that mold with the Savannah Bananas. Like he'll, he's not afraid to do anything. I think at one point uh, he was a seven footer in a yellow dress. So uh, you know, I, I think they had him. You know, he was a a key point. I, I saw the Savannah uh, documentary, the first episode the other day, and he's all in the middle of that thing. So he fits the uh, he fits that mold pretty well. And then the last thing I have for you, you know, he starts out his pro career here, you know, a, a few weeks left uh, in the minor league season here, and then he'll he'll go into to spring training next year, obviously getting ready to start a full season ball and and take off from there. Kind of w- when you see, you know, either, whether whether it's his personal goals or, or just you watching him, you know, what are you hoping to to see from him in, in really next year, his first full professional season? Well, he's gotten better, you know, since the day, you know, He's he's you can see that he is now figuring out how to pitch. And I think that's what's going to be really exciting is this, you know, projection is now going to be production, as we talked earlier, is he's got a chance to be a really good arm. And everybody obviously wants to get to that the highest level, but uh he he has the intangibles to to do that. And I, you know, I, I really think his velocity is going to keep going, but you know, getting better. Uh, you know, especially with the changeup, I think he can probably stay in a starter role. Obviously, the Orioles have done a great job developing guys. Uh, and I'm interested to see what those next steps are, because our job was to make him college ready. Uh, and now, you know, I think their job and, and what they will do, I'm sure, is is get him pro ready. And um, I, I think the the sky's the limit. Everyone talked about how tall he is. But I think what's just going to be as impressive is is how productive and how good he becomes. Yeah, he's already got the uh, the eyes of Birdland on him. Uh, everybody seems to be on Jared's side already, uh, not only just wanting a seven-footer to get to the big leagues, but, of course, uh, the O's pitching depth in the minors continues to get better, and he is certainly part of that. But, Rick, thank you so much for joining us to tell us more about Jared Beck, the Orioles' 13th-round selection, and thanks again for joining the podcast. Thanks, Connor. Thanks for having me. So our thanks to both Peter Stark and Rick Odette for joining us here on the podcast. Of course, starting with Peter, chatting about Wyatt Chaney, who the Orioles took in the 10th round. And again, he was, you know, a a highly rated recruit going to Oklahoma State, just didn't work out there. So he goes to the junior college and just dominated at McLennan. Now, we only got to see Chaney pitch twice 
in the minors this year, once in the FCL and once in Delmarva. He combined for a scoreless inning, one hit, two Ks, and a walk. Hopefully, we'll get to see him back out there on the mound next year with the interesting stuff from a small school righty. And then it feels like the MLB draft profile you all were waiting for. That came up next, and our thanks again to the head coach of St. Leo University Baseball, Rick Odette, for joining us to talk about Jared Beck, everybody's favorite draft pick of the Orioles this year, the seven-foot-tall left-handed pitcher who just had some awesome stats, just turned 22 years old. And again, if he gets to the big leagues, as we've talked about, would be the tallest player ever to appear in a Major League Baseball game. Now, the season is over professionally for these two guys as the season's are over for Delmarva and for the FCL as well. And Jared Beck pitched in Delmarva, 10 innings for the Shorebirds, 11 hits, 4 earned runs, 10 strikeouts to 5 walks, a hit batter, but no long balls allowed for him. And it's just going to be really interesting to see him continue to pitch with that frame and how he can move up the Orioles' ranks in the minors, of course, starting in the 2023 season. But thanks to both of our guests. Hope you are continuing to enjoy this MLB Draft Profile Series. Of course, we still got some draft picks and some undrafted free agents to get to here over the next couple of weeks on the pod to continue to look at every player the Orioles brought in in the 2022 Major League Baseball Draft. But that will do it for today's episode. We thank you so much for listening and for tuning in. We'll be back tomorrow of course, as the Orioles take on the Nationals tonight, game one of two in the Battle of the Beltways. And coming up tomorrow, I'll have the recap of game one between the O's and the Nats. These are two must-win games for the Orioles. I'll get you the five things you need to know from that one. And we'll continue to cover these Orioles. They try to just hang on by a thread in this American League wildcard race. But that's coming up tomorrow. Until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.